Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I'm excited to wrap up today. We've been talking about championship relationships. And for the last several weeks, we have gone through many different spheres of relationships, primarily focusing on marriage and on your own personal spiritual well-being. But today, I've really thought this past week, um, and I I was talking to Michelle and talking to some of her staff, and you know, Michelle, as many of you know, won the Brown Lottery 39 years and 60 days ago. I'm going back to that other church. And oftentimes when I talk about us being married like 39 years and 60 days, people, you know, many of you go, well, well, pastor, why are you counting? Well, my parents got divorced. My dad was on his way to five marriages when I was and they divorced after 20 years. So I'm going to count every day all the way up to 40. Is that okay? And when I look back and, and, and I recognize that, you know, Michelle is, is way out of my league. I'm the most grossly overmarried man in America. I said that when she wasn't here last week. And I know you might like think I'm shocked. For the first year we were married, she's here. I would wake up and just wake up and stare at her. And she would wake up and go, I mean, big Mexican stare. <laughs> it's kind of scary. And I, I, I could not believe not only that she married me, but, but her family. I mean, all of Michelle's family literally lives within a hundred yards of each other that live here in town. Seven children, everyone that lived within a hundred yards of each other. Her grandparents lived right next door. Her other grandparents lived across the street. And then you come from the brokenness that I came from. And as God has so miraculously done, and I attribute it to the grace of God, my pastor, spiritual father, and Michelle's family, and the grace of God through her, has given us just an amazing relationship. And we walk through challenges. Many of you know you've walked through challenges as well. Yes, we've had children. We've had struggles. We've lost a child. We've walked through different disappointments in life and people and circumstances. So life has happened to us. But I think sometimes when, when you look at people like, you know, Pastor Chris Reese and Michelle, okay, he played for the Saints. She was, a, you know, played college softball. He looks like, like I looked when I was his age. And... You, you know, you look at people, you look at their marriages, and you think, God, I, I'll never have that. And I think that, that sometimes, unbeknownst and, and, and uh, really unintendingly, we sometimes project something, and that many of you, may, maybe you're, you're single, or maybe you're married to someone who's not spiritually on the same page as you are. Pastor Chris talked a couple of weeks ago about being unequally yoked. And he talked about the principle was you couldn't yoke up an ox and a donkey because one would be dragging the other one around. Some of you feel like you're dragging your mate around or some of you feel like you're dragging around till you find your mate. And you might look at at relationships that God has blessed where you have two people who we've been married almost 40 years and, and after pleasing God, our greatest desire is to please one another. And some of you I'll just be honest, most people are not in a relationship like that. And you might look at what God has blessed some people with and think, God, I'll never have that. Like somehow throughout the course of your life, you will always be less than. And I want to tell you this, it's not true. It's not true. Because God's plan for you and me is to walk in life-giving relationship. You and me. Say that with me. Life-giving relationship. Well, what are relationships really? They're people. And if you boil it down to its roots, there are two types of people. They're life-giving people and they're life-taking people. There are some people that you can't wait to see. 
And other people, you can't wait to see leave. (laughs) Don't point. It's true. You know, it's true. Some people you can't wait to introduce to some people and some people can't be introduced. They just have to be explained. (laughs) Well, why is that? What if I married someone like that? What if I'm single and I am someone like that? Let me give you a hint. Every one of us are in one of those two categories. It doesn't matter. Sadly, though, a lot of this depends on your family of origin. Your family of origin, like like, like where you got started. Relationships aren't inanimate. They're they're you and me. It's not a book like this Bible or this podium. It's people. It's you and me. The relationship that you're in, that ship is carrying you, and you're the main passenger on that ship, and you decide who else boards that ship, stays on that ship, where they leave in that ship, live in that ship, and the destination of that ship. And I am so grateful because of the grace of God and the blood of Jesus that our ships don't all start off at the same place. A lot of people are confused about Christianity and about America. Not that they're the same. They're certainly not. But a lot of people think America is the land of equal outcome. It's not. It's the land of equal opportunity because we all start off in different places. Some of you started off with amazing families like Michelle's, private school, mother and father together, grandparents, you see them every day. And some of you started off like me. With your parents married multiple times in dysfunction and Sisters pregnant, 13, 14, and 15. An older brother, a drug dealer. And arrested by, you know, before you became a teenager. All of those things. But because of the grace of God, it doesn't matter where your ship started. When Jesus gets on your ship, he expedites the process and brings you to a place of wholeness. If you really boil down the basic needs of the word of God into the human being, it comes down to three things. Every one of us want to be totally loved. Say that with me, totally loved. You know, all women are looking for one man to meet their every need, to to be totally loved. You know what the truth is? How many of you have done some things you're not proud of? Okay. Some of you that didn't raise your hand can add to that list. It's now lying in church. All of us have done things we're not proud of. All of us have experienced things that we don't want to tell anyone about. Because you know what our greatest fear is? If they really know who I am, they won't love me. You know what's amazing about God? He's the only one who really knows me. He knows what I did that I'm ashamed of. He knows what I didn't do because the grace of God stopped me. He knows the times I would have ruined my life, Michelle's life, our children's life, and many other people's lives. And still, even though he knows everything about me, the worst of me, he's still the one who loves me the most. Every one of us want to be totally loved. Here's the second thing. We want to be totally accepted. We want to be totally accepted. Many years ago, before we were, I was even the pastor here, I was traveling, speaking to young people. As a youth evangelist, a, a, a wealthy man from Crowley called me one day. He said, hey, Jacob, he said, I'm going, to have a, I'm going to have a guy come and visit you at your house. He said, answer the door. I said, what is it? He said, well, it's a surprise for me. So, This short Latino guy, about this tall, from Baton Rouge, came, knocked on the door, opened up the door. He's there, and he said, hello, I have been sent here by Mike Francis, and I'm here to make a suit for you. And he was looking at my clothes, and he started at my shoes, and he just went. (laughs) The only thing he didn't shake his head at was my head. And this guy had a way of looking at you and he would judge your clothes, you know, your shoes starting all the way up and, and judge you. That's too big. That's not you. That you need to be tighter. That's too small. That's too, and he's telling you all of the different things. We all know people like that. They look at you like that, like. And you want to ask, well, what is it? Because you know with their look, they're not accepting you. Every one of us want to be totally loved. We want to be totally accepted. Here's the third thing. Every one of us want to be totally safe from fear of abandonment. 
One of the most beautiful women that I know is a precious lady in our church. I'm like a father to her. I remember the day that I was called over to their house and she and her husband were in an argument and, and he said, I don't, I don't know what's wrong with her. I mean, I didn't say anything. And she said with tears in her eyes, no, you didn't say anything, but every time we argue, you leave me. And she started crying and she said, my daddy left me when I was a little girl. My mama left me when I was a teenager. My grandparents left me. You can argue with me. You can say anything you want. You just don't leave me. I've been left all of my life. Even God met these three needs in his son. When Jesus was 30 years old and he began his ministry, one lady told me in our church, she said, Pastor, my son is just like Jesus. I said, that's wonderful. He goes, no, he wants to live at home till he's 30. And she, when, when, what was I saying before that? When Jesus started his ministry, he begins and he's going to be baptized. Right now, he is about to enter the purpose for which he came to the world. And as he does, he goes to be baptized by John. And in Luke 3, 21, it says this, and now when all the people were baptized. Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, the visible heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit descended upon him bodily like a dove. And a voice spoke from heaven and said, you are my son. What did he do? He claimed him. My, he named him. And then he said, in you, I am well. He blessed him. Every one of us need to be claimed and named and blessed. If you came from a healthy family, a reflection of that came from there. If Jesus needed all of these to be fulfilling his purpose, do you think you might need them? I believe that identity and purpose are connected. If you don't know who you are, how in the world can you tell your children who they are? How in the world can you define any other significant relationship in your life to let them know who they are? But what happens if your family origin only gave you one of these or two of these? Or maybe you won the lottery like me, none of these. Then it's highly likely that you may be attempting to get these three key needs met in your life by hijacking every friendship or relationship or even your mate and attempt to find something in them that they can never give you, especially if they never got it themselves. Today, when you do that, if that's your belief system, I need another person to make me whole, to make me life-giving. I give the power of my life's destiny to another human being. We live in a hedonistic world. Say that with me, hedonism. Hedonism is the belief that pleasure is the purpose of life. The purpose of life is pleasure. Isn't it amazing when, when, when I was growing up, how many of you got spanked? How many of you got beat? How many got whooped? How many of you just got woe out? Okay, now we're going to find out. We're going to go into categories. How many of you have been hit by a belt? How many have been hit by an extension cord? How many have been hit with a piece of wood? Okay, how many have been hit with a hanger? Hey, listen, when my daddy got mad, he grabbed anything. Shoe, pan. When he, when he pulled out the belt, I was so excited. It was a belt. I'm like, here. <laughs> I'm taking the easy road out. You know what's amazing? We grew up in a generation where we desired our parents' approval. Today, children aren't spanked, and we live in a generation where parents are trying to get approval from their children. If this belief system is what you think that the chief end of all relationships is pleasure, listen to me, and don't get me wrong, I have many friends and I enjoy moments of great pleasure with them. 
I have children and grandchildren, and I enjoy them, and they bring me great pleasure. I'm married to a gorgeous woman, and they're moments of great pleasure. But the purpose of pleasure is not the path of pleasure. Let me explain it. The purpose of pleasure is not the path of pleasure. Let me explain that. Can I tell you what the perfect day is? Tomorrow's Monday, right? I'm going to tell you what the perfect Monday is for my wife. Are you ready? Okay, I'm trying to share something with you, a little revelation. Okay, like the phone rings tomorrow morning early and we're having coffee because that's what we do every morning. We have coffee together. And she says, hello. And Joseph says, what are y'all doing? And his mama says, the same thing we do every morning at this time. We're having coffee. He says, would you make breakfast? She says, if you bring John Wesley, we will. (laughs) And she hangs up the phone and she goes from complete chilling, relaxing. We're emoting. We're connecting. We're talking about who was here Sunday. Did you see anybody new? What did you think? How did you feel the service went? How's so-and-so doing? Saw Stacy there. How are they? How's that's all rain happened? I mean, you were just talking. And all of a sudden she jumps up and it's like a cloud of dust jumps up, man. She starts pulling pans out and cooking up stuff and pulling everything out, laying things out on the counter. And, and, and she starts and then Joseph comes in and he kisses his mama, big kiss. He comes in and he kisses her. And then all of a sudden she's getting breakfast ready. She serves everybody and we're sitting down there eating. And then while they're eating, she, she doesn't eat me. She just grabs the baby. She grabbed John Wesley. And she's loving all over John Wesley. And she, she didn't forget to eat. Okay. They hang around. We visit, have more coffee, talk, laugh, discuss everything. About 12 o'clock they leave. She hasn't even eaten yet. She's up cleaning up everything. She is so happy, it's ridiculous. The path to pleasure is not the pursuit of pleasure. It's the pursuit of selflessly loving someone more than yourself. Jesus said it like this in Luke 17, 32 and 33. When the day arrives and you're out working in the yard, don't run into the house to get your coat. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. Lot's wife was a woman who was told to leave Sodom and Gomorrah, but she would not leave because she didn't want to leave everything that she loved behind her. She wouldn't let it go. She was holding on to her past life. And then he says this, read it with me. If you grasp and cling to life on, you will what? You'll lose it. But if you let that life go. One translation says, if you seek to gain your life, you will lose it. If you seek to lose your life, you will find it. You'll get life on what? God's terms. The pursuit of pleasure is not the path to pleasure. The abundant life-giving relationship that we have with others begins with God and from God. He is the source The book of John says, he who has the son has life. Who doesn't have the son does not have life. And that word life in the Greek, if you've been around church a while, is zoe. It means the life of God. In other words, until you really get connected to him, you never really get connected to what life's about. John 10.10 says this, and the thief is only there to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I came so they could have a real and eternal life. More than than you ever dreamed of. Only God can meet the greatest needs in my life. He is the only one who will always totally love me, totally accept me, and never abandon me. I I love Michelle very much. But you know what? If history plays out, every man in her family has died before the woman. Thank you. Her grandfather passed away. Her father passed away and her mother's still alive. So that means it's probably going to be me. And my job is to be so good to her, no other man could ever possibly fulfill that role. I have a friend of mine who has the largest church in Arkansas, Pastor Rick Bezet, about 20,000 people at 20 locations. And here's a true story. He told this story. He told me this story. 
He said his daddy was about to die and he was dying of cancer. And he's near his side right at the end and, and he looks over and he says, Rick, Rick. He said, come on, I want to tell you something. He said, what? He said, I'm not really dying from cancer. He said, you're not? He said, no. I want you to tell everybody at my funeral when you preach it, I died of AIDS. He said, but daddy, you didn't die of AIDS. You died of cancer. He said, I don't want any man ever touching my wife. (laughs) That's a true story. God is the only one that will never leave you or never forsake you. God is the only one who will always be there. And when you come to him and you pour out your deepest, darkest secret, won't say, well, that's it, I'm done. He is the only one that can meet those three needs in your life. And let me share something with you. Every time you put divine expectations on a human being, you will always be disappointed. Those three core needs will only be met in my life by God, not by any person that I will ever marry if I'm single or the person I'm married to now. I want you to know a profound truth. Can I share with you a really powerful truth? Okay, besides that one person, would anybody else like to hear it? Can I share with you a profound truth? Here it is. The most fulfilled, life-giving Amazing, phenomenal person that ever walked the earth was never married. He was single. He was solo. He is what some people would call alone. And here's what is written about him in John 1:16. And now out of him, his fullness, we are what? fulfilled and we receive grace heaped upon grace. I love the amplified version where it says this, for out of his fullness, the super abundance of his grace and truth, we have all received grace upon grace, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, favor upon favor, a gift is heaped upon gift. All of this came from someone who was never married, who was single. How can I be life-giving pastor. How, how, how can my ship be life-giving? And every time I pull into anybody's life, they want to board and be a part of my life. What, what was Jesus like that was so life-giving to him that people wanted to be near him, touch him, surround him? I thought of this this week. Isn't it amazing? Jesus had children that loved playing at his feet, and at the same time, political leaders and kings were terrified of him. Imagine bringing someone to say, I want to introduce you to the person that all these political leaders are afraid of, and there he is sitting, and children are running all over, and he's blessing them, and they're laughing and cutting up. And you go, that's the one? That's the one? What was it about Jesus that made him so life-giving? Remember, what Jesus modeled, Jesus meant for you and me. He said over and over again, what I'm doing, I'm doing as an example. So what were the ingredients of his life? Here they were. Let me go over them very quickly in the next eight or ten minutes. Number one, he made time with God his first priority. He made time with God his what? First priority. How many of you ever get worried? How many of you, there's been a few things around that caused you to be fearful? Yeah, yeah. Fears, anxieties, concern, worries. How many of you know we can all struggle with those things? Raise your hand. Okay, listen carefully to me. You know what I've discovered? That when I get before God, before I begin my day and tell him about all my fears and my concerns and my worries that I don't end up telling other people that all day long. Because the worst thing is you're telling people that can't do anything about it. When you spend time with him, you are finally talking to somebody that might not change every circumstance right away, but he can change you right away. He made time with God his first priority. 
you know what the Christian life is? You, you know, sometimes as, as, as pastors and priests and preachers, we make it so complicated. You really want to serve God? Yeah, you got to make your first catechism, your second communion. You got to go through this. You got to the marriage retreat, and if you do that, okay. What do you got to do? Well, you got to go through this class and then you go through that one and then you read the Bible five minutes a day to keep the devil away and then you do this four times and when you go in front of a church, you do this and then you get baptized and christened to join the church and everything starts serving the dream team and it happens to everybody and the council people and everything. Here's what Jesus was said to a group of people who obeyed 500 laws every day. The 500 laws of Moses. And they came up to him and said, what's the greatest commandment out of all 500 of them? And do you know what he said? The greatest commandment is, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your, with all of your mind, thoughts, understanding, and with all of your strength. Can I tell you what it all boils down to? Just love God more than you love anything or anyone. Just love God. Just love God. Just love God. Can I be real honest for a minute? You think, I don't know, Pastor, with the stuff you've said already, any more honest than that, I might have to go to another church. I lived on the road for 25 years of my life, 15 to 25 days a month, preaching to young people on sexual purity. Do you know how many stories I've heard? Literally thousands upon thousands of people that were molested and raped, all of it. You say, Pastor, how in the world could you stay pure? Was it because you had such a beautiful wife at home? Look at me. No. She didn't know where I was, she didn't know every detail of everything I was doing. She didn't know every thought going on in my mind. She didn't know every temptation that crossed my way. Look at me. But the one I love the most did. He did. The love of God constrained me. The one that I love the most. And listen to me, men, 75% of men hit on porn. We could put an app on your phone. We could put a notification every time, you know, your wife looks at it. There he is. We could put a shock collar on you every time you. (laughs) But look at me. There's nothing that constrain can constrain a man or a woman like the love of God. And the best wife in the whole world will never fulfill a place in your life and a throne that's for God alone. Just love God. The rest will follow. Love God. Love his word. Love this book right here. Love this book right here. Live in this book right here. You heard me show you a few weeks ago the, the, the survey that was done of people that read the Bible one day a week. There was no difference in their character. Two days a week, no difference in their character. Three days a week, no difference. In, for those that read the Bible, four days or more per week, they were 60% less likely to struggle with porn, depression, anxiety, and fear. Why? Because those two things can't coexist with this. The presence of God and the promises of God, they can't coexist with those things. Just love. Just love. Just love God. He made time with God as priority. Here's the second thing. He chose spiritual family or he loved people. He loved people. I've always been amazed at people that tell me, Pastor, I love God. I just hate people. Isn't that amazing? Now, I want you to remember what I'm telling you right now. Jesus was God's love letter wrapped up in the flesh. And all he cared about was people. Matter of fact, his biggest problem was with the disciples. People are coming close. Send them away. Send them away. Kids are coming close. Send them away. Send them away. Send them away. And Jesus had to constantly remind them that the reason that he came was not just for them. They wanted Jesus to love them. They just didn't want him to love all the other people. Can I tell you how you can tell if you really love people? 
How do you treat people you don't need? How do you treat people you don't need? How do you treat a waitress? Yeah, I have a number five belch. How do you treat people that you don't need? Jesus said, when you've done it unto the least, least. It's not measured by what you do for the greatest. It's measured by what you do for the least. You don't really do anything for other people until you do something for people that can't do anything back for you. Jesus said the second commandment was like it. You shall unselfishly love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than this. Jesus loved people, flat out. You want to describe Jesus? He loved God and he loved people. He loved God and he loved people. In Mark chapter 3, one of the great revelations came, one that, that we built our church on. Jesus was preaching and a large group of people came to him and there were so many people that nobody could even get through and finally a messenger got through and said, Jesus, your mom and him's here. Your mom and him came all the way from Cankton. In verse 33, he answered to the people who were with him and said, who is my true mother and my true brothers? Then looking in their eyes, sitting in a circle, he said to them, here is my true family members. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Do you know what I've discovered? Is that God will often give you in spiritual family what you didn't get in your family of origin. It's true. It's true. My, my, when, when I gave my life to Christ, my pastor became my daddy. He picked me up from my mother's bar. He paid for every meal, every Piccadilly that I ever went to after church. He became like a father to me. And when we walked in the church, our church was 150 people, average age about 65 or 75. Now that's not very old to me, but back then that was ancient. And, and, and I remember walking in and here we are, I mean, ripped up jeans. Now that's a style back then. That's <laughs> what we wore. And, and, and had walked in, hair down to here. And when those old spirit-filled godly women Grandmothers and great-grandmothers. It was like adopt a Mexican hood week. They brought us food. They brought us clothes. They loved on us. And you know what I found? What I didn't get from my grandmother, I got from them. What I didn't get from my mother and father, I got from them. That's why we have small groups for fellowship. That's why we ask you to go through the gold book with someone. That's discipleship, them teaching you your next steps. I find often that God gives me in spiritual family what I did not get in earthly family. It's true. Matter of fact, today I'm blessed to have Pastor Mark Hakins and Trina here. His daddy gave me a chance to preach when I was 19 years old. He had a church of a thousand and a city of a thousand. He didn't know me from Adam. All he knew is there was some Mexican kid who lived in a bar who'd gotten saved and had given his life to Christ and he had a story and he had me come and speak. Isn't that amazing? Today, his granddaughter was one of the people leading worship. God gives you in spiritual family what you don't often get in regular family. Jesus loved God. He loved people. He chose family. It's the first thing he did when he left his home is he began choosing family. Here's the third thing. He served others. He served others. If you were thinking of someone being the, the, the poorest person, the lowliest job, their job was foot washing. Their job was foot washing in a dusty road. Their job, let, let me explain what, this, what I'm about to explain to you is. Apparently, they've gone to a number of places of wealthy people and their feet were washed, but Jesus decided to teach the disciples something this day. He got there, and when the disciples came, they sat there ready. They're with Jesus. You know, they're being preferred and honored, and the guy's there to wash everybody's feet before they go in to the house, and Jesus pushes him aside, and he grabs the basin, and he says, I'm going to wash your feet. Peter, disciple with a foot-shaped mouth, says, no, 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 Lord, Lord, never, never, do not. Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no place with me. And he goes, then give me a shower. And he goes, shut up and give me a foot. We all know people like that. He washes his feet. 
And then he shares with them a powerful, powerful revelation. Listen to what he says in verse 16. I tell you the truth. No slave is greater than his master and no messengers are greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know this, read this with me. How happy are you if you put it into practice? He didn't say dirty are you if you do this. He said happy are you if you do this. I'm so proud of you. Every hurricane and every flood Every person in this church takes off their normal clothes and puts on a cape. What you do in moments of crisis when the flood happened, we had 3,000 volunteers going out every day. We gutted out 400 homes in the first three weeks, fed almost 30,000 meals. And before it was all over, you helped 1,200 families rebuild their homes. You're amazing. When the hurricane happened, people were giving, people were giving things, and we began running straight down our church in Jennings, our church in Lake Charles, and you began being the hands and feet of Jesus. When the pandemic happened, you immediately began giving out food. We gave out hundreds of thousands of masks to people in the early days of the pandemic. Y'all are amazing. You know what's so amazing to walk in these houses? I remember walking down a house right straight down by this, probably about a half a block from here, two blocks from here. And one of our dentists was there ripping back wood with another one of our men whose company did a hundred million dollars last year. And he's ripping out wood. People have no clue. Do you know what they were getting paid to do that answer? They were being paid happiness. They were recognizing that when you serve others, that's when true joy comes back to you. When you do something for someone who can do nothing for you, that's when true joy comes back. That's when true joy comes back. And that's what you do every time. Floods, hurricanes, COVID, it doesn't matter. Can I tell you, I don't care how busy you are. If somebody's going to come over and help you clean out your garage that your wife's been berating you about, you got time for them. Someone's going to come and help you cut down that tree that fell down during the storm. You have time for them. Why? Because life-giving people not only love God, they not only love people, but they love serving. Here's the fourth thing. He was thankful. Say that with me. Jesus was thankful. Think of the stupid, stupid commercial that one rap star did been played over and over. He stood up for receiving an award and said, I want to thank myself. What an idiot. What a moron. Anybody here that has accomplished anything, it's because of God and all the other people that have been a part of your journey. Everyone. Saying that Jesus gave thanks is like saying that you're a good Catholic around here and you prayed in our Father during the day. Okay, you do it all the time. I have friends of mine that are intoxicated. They'll drive by a church and just try to make the sign of the cross. They can't even find the right place to hit. I did. I picked up a guy drunk one time. I went, he called me. I went and picked him up as a neighbor and he came by the uh, church and he just tried to make a sign of the cross. Being thankful. Jesus, it's recorded in scripture, he was thankful seven times. Now that doesn't mean that's the only times he was because it was a daily part of their life. This was outstanding because of the moments of what it was. Here's half of the time that he was thankful. When he was in need or when he was in grief or pain. He gave thanks when he fed the 4,000 from a small meal, a few fish and loaves. He gave thanks when he fed the 5,000 with just a few fish and loaves. When he got to his friend's Lazarus, his best friend, there's only two people the Bible says that Jesus loved personally, specifically, Lazarus was one. Jesus, the one who you loved, is dead. When he got to his funeral four days late and got to the grave, he gave thanks. And then here's the last time. When he was serving the last supper, the last Passover, and he was about to be betrayed and he was about to die on a cross. Do you know what that tells me? 
that if over half the times it records that Jesus was thankful was when he was in pain or in grief or in need, that being thankful carries me in the most difficult moments of my life. That in those moments, I can look at what I've lost or I can thank God for what he's given me. I can look at what I don't have that somebody else has or I can be very grateful for everything that God has given me now. Gratitude, thankfulness brings healing to my soul. It brings gratitude. It brings life. It makes me life-giving. Here's the fifth thing Jesus did. He laid down his life for his friends. I don't need to be married to do that. I don't need to have the best of relationship with my mate and we're all in church together to do that. I can be rich or I can be very modestly living and I can still do that. Then finally, number six, all I have to do to be life-giving is have the same priorities Jesus had. He loved God. He loved people. He loved to serve. He was thankful. He laid down his life for his friends. Probably one of the most tragic events I've walked through. I walked through a few years ago with a family in our church. When Michelle and I got the call to go to Lafayette General Hospital, all we knew is that there was a wreck with the Vasquez family. And that their 14-year-old daughter was being rushed into life-saving surgery. That's all we knew. John and Yvette Vasquez served as children's pastors volunteer. They are people that you couldn't pay them to do it, you couldn't pay them not to do it. He was an accountant, very successful. She was a homemaker. Their eldest daughter, Abigail, was 14 years old, and every mom and daddy here would have been proud to call them her daughter. The Wednesday night before the story I'm talking about happened on Monday, she brought four of her friends to youth group that gave their life to Christ. Now we're at the hospital, Lafayette General. When we get there, we discover that she's going into surgery and we're waiting. That Johnny is fighting for his life at Lord's Hospital. Yvette is seven months pregnant. And there we are in that room. We're praying. We're gathering together. Now other pastors are coming. All of a sudden, the door opens up, and they say, she's going into surgery now. And Yvette jumps up, and she, she runs over, and she hugs her and kisses her. As Abigail goes off into surgery, and we wait, and we pray. About an hour later, the doctor comes walking in. We stand up and go, well, how did this surgery go? And he said, well, there was some complications and we lost her. And then, and he begins going on and on and on and on and on for about a minute. And Yvette said, you, you what? He said, we, we lost her. She said, you lost her. And I'll never forget that scream as long as I live. My baby! My baby, screaming as only a mother in grief can in pain. We then gathered ourselves together and, and went over to Lord's Hospital right here. We get there and Johnny, they're, they're surprising, surmising what's going on with him and they say they're not sure that he's going to live. First doctor comes out and says, we're doing everything we can, but we're not sure that he's going to live. If he doesn't make it, if he just gets on life support, do you want us to disconnect him? And Yvette looked at that doctor and said, God told me my husband would live. I've lost my daughter. My husband will live. We wait. This goes on for two weeks. Do you want us to disconnect him? God told me, my husband, finally we got a new doctor. We got a Nigerian doctor. He came. He sits down with her. And she says, God told me my husband would live. He goes, then we will believe God with you. God can do anything. This is in God's hands. God can do this. And we began praying with him. 
finally, after several weeks of this, it was known that Johnny was now going to live, but that he would be paralyzed for the rest of his life. If at all functioning. I want you to think about this. She was seven months pregnant when the wreck happened. Finally, Johnny recovered enough where they had to send him to a therapy hospital in Hammond by himself. A vet would go up back and forth with the children. One day while she was leaving, Johnny looked at her crying and he said, I, I don't want you to leave. He said, Johnny, I, I have to go back home. We have other children. And she said, well, I just, I'm just alone. And the vet looked at him and she said, Johnny, when I got the call that you were in a wreck and I got to the hospital, I was alone. When Abigail went to be with the Lord, I was alone. When we planned the funeral, I was alone. When we attended the funeral, I was alone. When I had the baby, I was alone. She said, but Johnny, I was never alone because God was with me and his family's with me and you're not alone either. God is with you too. This morning, Johnny and Yvette Vasquez are right there. Stand up, Yvette. That is a woman of God. That is a woman of God. And now, you can be seated. Johnny, who couldn't move, wave your hands at us, man of God. For one year, people from the church went and helped her every single day with him. And when manual builders found out what had happened, Greg and Minnesee Manual, we shared this story with them. They built her, along with subcontractors in our community, in our church, a brand new $400,000 home and gave it to her fully furnished to care for Johnny. Can I tell you this? If God is your father and Jesus is your savior, you are never, ever, ever alone. You are always loved. And when you discover the day, you discover who you are in Christ, no one can ever tell you again in your lifetime what you're not. No one. Would you bow your head with me? Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you for the power of God, the power that's to salvation that changes us that when you come and declare, I will never leave you or forsake you. And the Jesus of John 3, 16, that so loves us, comes into our life and transforms us. We know what it is to be saved, to be safe, to be secure, to be unconditionally loved, and to know we will never, ever be abandoned. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for John and Yvette and the story that has been magnified many times over in their life to touch thousands and thousands of people through Abigail's testimony and Yvette's Johnny's testimony. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, what does that mean, Pastor? Every person born since Adam and Eve has been born spiritually dead. And you remain that way until the moment you're born again and become spiritually alive. But you say, Pastor, I've been christened, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said. In John 3, 3, he said, you must be born again. Have you been born again? The answer to that question determines whether you have a relationship with God and that life-giving power flows out of you from Him. It determines where you spend eternity, heaven or hell, life or death. You say, well, Pastor, what, what do I need to do to be born again? 
It's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer and that he died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. Someone will die for your sin. Either he did or you will. And C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin to be born again. This only happens once, just like the day you were born. My birthday is June the 17th, but my spiritual birthday is the week before Easter, 1971, when I prayed with an African-American counselor in Jackson Junior High School in the inner city of Houston. That day became my spiritual birthday, and I became spiritually alive. Have you been born again? If you haven't been born again today, is your opportunity. In a moment, I'm going to count to three. And at the end of three, if that's you and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me today? I've never prayed to be born again. Today, I want to begin my spiritual journey. Today, I want to be born again. Then when I get to three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. I'm the only one looking. And all you're doing by saying that is, Pastor, pray for me. Today, I want to begin my spiritual journey. I've never been born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. Would you pray for me? One. God brought you here. It's not an accident. Everything in your life has been moving towards this moment of God speaking to you. Two, God knew you would be here today. He knew the cry of your heart and what you would need and that today could be your day. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high. Pastor, pray for me. I want to be born again. Yes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Okay, put your hands down. Last 10 seconds, Pastor. I didn't raise my hand with these 17 people, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. Pastor, would you pray for me? If you've already raised your hand, don't raise it. But if you didn't raise your hand with these 17, you know I'm asking just for you. You feel it. You know that God's speaking to you right now. I want you to raise your hand and wave it at me right now. Join these 17, 18, 19. Anywhere else? All right. 20. I see that. Church, let's pray out loud with all of those that raise their hand to be born again today. We're going to join you. We're going to pray with you. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe it on the cross. You took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go and you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen.